You've heard the expression that money talks. But I wonder how many of us have ever taken a moment to listen to what it actually says, to hear what money says. We, we know that money is important, absolutely. It's powerful, right? It, it provides influence. Money is used for a lot of good in the world. And we know that the love of money produces all kinds of chaos, destruction, and pain. It is the, the cause of so much evil in the world. Other than the kingdom of God, do you know what topic Jesus talked about more than any other? You guessed it, money. Money and, and the hold that money can have on the heart and the freedom that comes when money is not uh, strangling our heart and, and perverting and skewing our ability to see the world rightly through God's perspective. And if it's true that money talks, then what does it say? What money says to you, what it says to you, I borrowed this from the Rooted uh, small group material that we're going to be going through together in the future, uh, and they have a whole a subject, a whole theme, a whole week about financial uh, giving and stewardship and what that means for us. But you know, money does speak, and, and in this uh, devotional that describes how money can make promises to you and me that you are somebody. In other words, uh, we, we can be fooled into thinking that if I have an accumulation of things, an accumulation of wealth, and, and all the great toys of life, that that somehow makes me somebody. It, it puts me in a certain class, it puts me at a certain status level, and because of that I have value. That's what money can deceitfully speak to us and try to convince us is true. And the Bible says that's absolutely not true. What does money say to you? It says that it, it can give you false promises that it can secure your future. That if you just accumulate enough in your retirement account, that that alone will secure you for the rest of your days. Money can lie to you in that way. It, it will tell you that it will protect you when things get difficult. And certainly there is wisdom in, in, in having a good financial, sound financial management planning and, and preparation for the future, absolutely. But trusting wholeheartedly in the false promises that money provides and speaks into a, a listening heart, a vulnerable life, and it, it gives these false promises because history is littered with people who have thought their future was secure who had thought they were somebody because of the accumulation of their possessions, who thought that, that they would fully be protected when the hard times came, and when the money was whisked away, they had nothing to stand on. And so God comes today, and He comes into the Scripture, and He comes into your life and heart today, that we might consider not just what money says to you, but what, in fact, you might say to money. Because money need not control you. The love of money need not drive your life. The love of God should drive your life. The pursuit of Jesus Christ should drive and motivate your life. And when that is the case, your relationship with money, just like your relationship in all other spheres of your life, fall into right order. When God is your centerpiece... And God is your ambition. Then everything else in your life becomes ordered rightly. But money doesn't just talk to you. You know, money actually...
actually says things about you. Money says things about you. If you really want to know what is important to someone, you can evaluate two very simple things. To get down and dirty, to really, really, not just to cut beyond the words of what somebody says, if you really have the ability to evaluate what is most important to somebody, there are two factors you can look at. Number one is their calendar, and number two is their cash flow. Not just the money that comes to my life, but more importantly, where the money goes out of my life, and to what does it go. It, it, uh, that, those two things, how I spend my time and how I spend my money, describe so much about what I value the most in life. It tells a lot about your life. When you evaluate your calendar, when you evaluate the things that you spend your money on, especially your discretionary spending, what does that say about what you most value in your life? It is stunning how those two areas of your life reveal so much about your life. So money, it certainly can speak lies to us. Money can certainly say things about us. It helps reveal what is most important and what has grabbed my heart's attention the most right now. But it's also true that you can say things to money. You can speak to money. Your life can be ordered in a way that money now serves you and becomes a gift to you and becomes uh, something pleasurable in the eyes of God to you. You see, uh, you can say to money that God is the one that makes me somebody. God is the one who makes me important. It is not my wealth that determines my, my, uh, uh, my value and worth. It's not my status. It's not my possessions that define most about who I am. I will allow God to define me and my relationship with Him. Is that true of you? That is a statement that you can make regularly. In refuting the lies and, and the encroachment of money into your life. God secures my future more than my retirement account. That's another statement that you can speak to money. That God is the one who knows the end from the very beginning. And God is the one who secures my future. Not my retirement account. A third thing you can say and speak to money with your life is this. That I will seek the call of God in my life more than the call of money. More than the call to wealth. So you can speak to money. I want us to, to think a little bit about the money that we have. Our, our tangible money in this country. And I want to just ask you a few questions. When you think about our paper money... Uh, can, you, can you picture in your mind's eye uh, which president, the image, which president's image is on the $1 bill? Can you name it out loud? You probably got it. It's George Washington. How about the $5 bill? Do you know who, what image is on the $5 bill? Abraham Lincoln. How about the $10 bill? This for me is the hardest one all the time, but it probably won't be after today. It's Alexander Hamilton. And I guess if any money is going to speak most and loudest, it's probably the $10 bill. In fact, uh, Hamilton might just sing to you and not just speak to you. You get what I'm saying? If you've seen the musical, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. How about the $20 bill? Do you know what image, which president image is on the $20 bill? Andrew Jackson. 
What about the $50 bill? There's an image of the president on there. That's right, President Grant, Ulysses S. Grant. And finally today, the, the $100 bill. Do you know what president is on that one? Well, I guess he's not a president, is he? Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, what about our coins? We have a, a penny, Abraham Lincoln. How about our nickel, Thomas Jefferson? The dime is Franklin Roosevelt. And our quarter, again, is George Washington. Why do I talk about the image that's on the money? We, we put these people on our money to help commemorate uh, the importance that they had in our country and the forming of our country. But Jesus, one of the areas and places where he talked about money, remember, money was an important topic to Jesus because money has a direct corollary to the state of your heart. The way you view money and the way you handle money has a direct connection to the status of your heart. And so he talks about it more than any other topic except the kingdom of God. And in one of those passages from Mark chapter 12, we read these words. Later, they, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others. Because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He asked, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Let me just give a little context for here. This, this particular moment, this is in a series of events where uh, the opponents of Jesus are, are coming to test him. They're trying not just to test him, they're, they're trying to trip him up and, and to, to help encourage him maybe to speak out of both sides of his mouth or to get him in trouble with one particular uh, interest group and uh, to get that interest group to turn against him. It's not unlike a presidential debate or a political debate, right, where you're trying to catch uh, your opponent in debate in something. Uh, you, you know what that's like. His opponents are trying to place Jesus in a dilemma. That's the reason for this question. It was an important question for them because the question produces no positive outcome. Or so they thought. They thought, we've got Jesus cornered with this question. And no matter how he answers, he's going to be in hot water with somebody. And we've got him just where we want him, so they thought. And the question was, should we, as, as good, God-loving Jewish people, should we pay taxes to Caesar? On the one hand, if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax... He'd be labeled as a sympathizer to Rome and to the Roman government that was occupying their land. And he would become in hot water with his own people, the Jewish people. On the other hand, if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, he'd be labeled an enemy of Rome. And then he would have been in hot water with the government. You see, it's a trap. It's a dilemma. And they're trying to purposely force a response.
hearts from him. And so how does Jesus answer? In typically brilliant fashion. (laughs) I so admire Jesus. I have so much to learn from him. And even in the simple ways of responding to questions, here's his response. He says, show me the coin. Do you have a denarius? A denarius was an average uh, day's wage. It would be like a whole day of work. Uh, They pull out the coin. Somebody produces it for him. And a denarius was a Roman silver coin uh, bearing uh, the the divine, sort of what was understood as a semi-divine bust. It was a picture of Tiberius Caesar in the day of Jesus. He was the emperor of that day, and then it had uh, an abbreviated Latin inscription. And here's what it translates to mean. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Those were the Roman coins. And when Jesus says, give me a denarius, that's the coin that's placed in his hand, much like you see on your screen. And so Jesus, holding that coin and probably holding it up for everybody to see, he says, whose image is this? Whose image is on this coin? And of course, their answer is Caesar's. And then Jesus' brilliant response to what they thought was a dilemma is, and it's a famous quote, he says, Give to Caesar, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Amazing response. In essence, Jesus wants us to scratch our heads for a moment. In essence, He wants us to ask the question, if I am to give back to Caesar the coin that has his effigy on it, his uh, his image on it, then what am I to give back to God? If I'm I'm to give, and it's okay to pay this, this tax to Caesar, and his image is there, what does it mean? What has the image of God? What what am I to give back? To God, You see, what Jesus is doing here, he's doing more, I believe, than just affirming the legitimacy of government. And I think he is doing that. There's, there's a, a legitimizing from Jesus himself of government. In addition to confirming that life brings responsibilities, like paying taxes, in addition to those things, you see, the word image used here is the same as what is used in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 26, when God in the creating moment says, let us make man in our image. So when Jesus says, whose image is this on the coin? And their answer is Caesar. And he says, render unto Caesar, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. His image is here. Give it back to him, it's okay. Whose image is on you? Beloved, whose image do you bear? And the word he's pointing to is back to the Genesis creation account that you and I are are created in the image of God. And because you are an image bearer of God, Jesus asks you to give yourself, to render yourself back to God. You see, he's pointing at the heart of what money is. And he's helping us understand that because you were made in God's image, you are to give God what bears his image, yourself. What part of yourself? Your whole self. That's why when he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is his response? 
To love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. It's your whole life that you are to respond back to God. Because you are an image bearer of Him. The Bible says that because of sin, that that image, the image of God has been distorted and marred. And that's the reason Jesus has come, so that He might recreate you. He might restore you, that which is broken in the image of God in you. The image of God in you that's been broken and fractured, Jesus has come to put back in order again. And when you give your life to Him, and you open yourself to His presence, now you're free to say, yes, I give my life back to God. And when that is your starting point with God, when you begin to think about money or wealth or anything else, you, it, you've already started from the right place because God is your centerpiece. Not your hunting for wealth. God is your centerpiece. Not your, your searching out for status or esteem because God is the one who esteems you and you esteem Him. It's not your search for significance out in the world somewhere because you have discovered your significance. Because you have understood that you are an image bearer of God and now you have given your life wholeheartedly back to Him. That's why we worship in a wholehearted way. Because we are reveling in the great love of God displayed in Jesus to come and repair the image and, and to help us be image bearers in the full sense again. Why does Jesus talk so often about money? It's because he knows it has a direct link to your heart. And so throughout the scripture, God asks you, brother and sister, child of God, throughout the scripture, God asks you, to be faithful and generous in your giving. That is the posture of one who follows God. Not, not in hoarding wealth. Not in, in stingy stifledness. But it's in generosity and faithful giving back to God. God asks you throughout the scripture to consider the tithes and offerings of God. Why? Well, there's two main reasons that I, I want to end on today, and they are these. Number one is that when, when you and I are faithful and generous in our giving, when, when God, when we understand that we are the image bearers of God, and we have given ourselves back to God, and He is the centerpiece of my life, it frees you now. To be generous and faithful in your giving back to God. Because you are recognizing God in His rightful place. God takes your giving and He'll combine it with that of others and weaves it into a tapestry of ministry through the church. A couple of examples in the scripture. And you remember way back when they were building the tabernacle. And they, they put a call out to the nation. They put a call out to the people. And they say, bring these things. And they, they put up a big list of items that they needed. Materials and uh, precious metals and all sorts of things. They, they call people. They, they highlight the craftsmen. And they begin to, to construct the tabernacle. And in fact, they have so much that they had to put out another press release to say, stop bringing stuff. Because we have more than enough. Can you imagine a church finance campaign when they would have to start turning money back because they'd say, we've got enough? Wouldn't that be a wonderful time? 
But that, that is how the people shared together in the development of what God was doing to shape them as the people of God for their work in the world. In the early church, we find that they, uh, the, the great beautiful description of the church is that they shared so much in common that there was nobody among them who had significant needs because they wanted to come and collectively share and take care of each other. And so God will take your giving. That's why he asks you to be faithful and generous in your giving. Because he takes that giving through the church and he combines it with the giving of others. And it weaves this beautiful tapestry. It's like a stained glass with various shards of various colors. But when they're all fit together, it creates a beautiful design of how God works through your giving. So that, that the needs of the world... And the gospel can be pre- the needs of the world can be met, the gospel can be preached, people can be invited into the love and called, called into the fullness of life that Jesus offers to us. Through Tiburon Baptist Church, your giving supports the structures that allow us to, to incorporate spiritual growth that will help us reach out to, in our community with the love of Jesus. When you give to this church, did you know that part of your giving goes to something called the Cooperative Program? And the Cooperative Program helps fund uh, our Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Agency. And that is the, the instrument around uh, North America that provides, shows up anytime a hurricane or wildfires here in California, tornadoes in the Midwest, earthquakes... They are there immediately providing food and showers and laundry services. In fact, uh, just in the recent hurricanes uh, in, the, uh, in the east of our country, over 500,000 meals have been served in the midst of those hurricanes. That's one way that you're giving through this church goes out in the ministry of God around this nation to meet the needs of brokenness. And to help be a light and to deliver the light of Jesus into the midst of places that need us, uh, need it. We, we have seen this work also throughout California, even in recent weeks, around the state and all the wildfires and providing meals. And it's such a wonderful thing. There's a second reason, main reason that God asks you to be faithful in your giving and generous in your giving. Not only... Does he take your giving and combine it with other people's giving and, and it gets woven together and multiplied in the spirit so that God's work can be done? But he also asks you to be faithful and generous in your giving because in giving, in your giving, in your taking it as a discipline of your life, it's not a negotiable reality, I don't believe. Now, the amount is, and all of that, God wants a cheerful giver. He wants you to decide in your heart what you will give to Him. But in the giving, God touches your life, because in the regularity of giving, I guarantee you, I have noticed this throughout my lifetime, and I've heard so many stories of brothers and sisters uh, throughout my lifetime, that when giving is faithful and regular and generous, that people learn how to trust God. That in the process of faithful giving, there it's a constant reminder of saying to money that you are not what secures my future. I give to God generously and faithfully because I don't need this stuff around me, this abundance of things, in order to provide substance to my life. 
That is not what gives me value. I already have value because I'm an image bearer of God. And I've given myself back to God. And so I'm able to manage and to speak to my money differently and to say, you will not own me, I own you. And I manage it on behalf of God. And so I happily give it back to God faithfully, regularly, generously because it shapes your heart. It reminds you constantly that God is your source and provider. That God is your beginning and God is your end. And so it's not that God needs your giving. It's that you and I, we need to be givers to God. It helps you to prevent being led away by the false promises that money makes. Next Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, we have set aside as our commitment Sunday... And in normal years, we would have a, a day where we would invite people to come forward, and, uh, and we'd make a big day of it, and we, it, it just as an act of worship, laying down our commitment at the altar of the Lord, laying it before Him. And so we were asking to do that differently this year. We, we need you to e- either mail in your commitments or to email Stephen what you are sensing from the Lord would be pleasing to give to him. Some of you, things have gotten really tight and you're not going to be able to do what maybe you would hope to do or what you have been accustomed to in your giving. I want you to know that that's okay. There may be others of you, however, that you, you might be sensing, as we've been asking you to be in prayer about this topic, and I want to invite you this week to be praying about it as well. But you might be asking the Lord, and he might be laying on your heart and mind a number for next year that seems wildly overshot. I want you to sit in prayer about that. Because there are some of you, probably, that God is going to call to give really sacrificially this coming year. I don't know who that might be. But God wants to speak to your heart. If you're married, talk with your spouse about it. Talk with anybody else that you might share finances with. And make it a a joint decision along the way. Give your reasons and trust God. Trust God. There may be no greater areas of life where you get to see and rejoice in the provision of God than in trusting Him with your finances and in faithfully giving, making a commitment, sticking to it. But I want you to know that as as we move forward as a church with our new vision, as we look into the future and think about all the things that that we can do and some of the technologies that we need to add as a church, and uh, there are some expenses that, that we're anticipating to come so that we can really be saturated in our vision and let the, let God work through us in a very fresh way for a fresh season of life together. I want you to know that this is such a wonderful time to be thinking ahead and asking God how you will partner with us in 2021 and how you will be faithful and generous to God. That's really the most important aspect of this. To be faithful and generous to God and express that as you would be a financial partner with us in the coming year. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. And I pray that this is such a blessed time for you. Uh, Jesus had no problem talking about money. Uh, It it is such a a wonderful topic and a wonderful blessing 
And I hope that this week you are filled with God's blessing as you consider the issue. God, we do invite you today and this week and in the days to come that you would speak to us, that, that you would visit us, that you would provide for us some understanding of, of what you're intending to do that, uh, in this coming year and how you would, you would want us to express to you our financial regularity of commitment, our financial, um, uh, not just obligation, but the joy of giving to you but that we might do that generously and faithfully in 2021, and how we might be a partner together in this church as part of what it is to be a member of this church, to share the financial joy and to share the ministry together. And so we thank you, God, for the privilege of sharing in this, and this is one way that that partnership is expressed is in our combined resources together. For your glory and your kingdom's sake, we pray now. Guide us, we ask, in Jesus' name together. Amen.